cybersecurity now gets an immense amount of attention. It hasn't always been this way, but there were people who were thinking about this 20 or even 30 years ago. I'm Jim Lewis, Senior Vice President and Director of the Technology Policy Program here at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This podcast, Cyber from the Start, goes to the roots of cybersecurity. It looks at how we develop the policies we have for critical infrastructure, surveillance, espionage, warfare, and privacy. Looking at this and talking to the people who helped lay the foundations will help us see where we started and how we ended up where we are today. Today, our discussion is with John Hamry, the CEO and president of CSIS. As the Deputy Secretary of Defense, he was really the first senior official to prioritize cybersecurity, in part in reaction to an incident called Moonlight Maze, maybe the first major cyber espionage effort against the U.S. John set DOD and the U.S. government on the course of making cybersecurity a national priority. You know, people started thinking about cybersecurity long before it became so trendy and with everyone being a cybersecurity expert. And you were, I think, the first, in some ways, senior official who really brought this to the fore of policymaking. What was the thing that got you started on this? Before I became the deputy secretary, uh, the department conducted this thing called eligible receiver. Oh, sure. And this was a, a war game mm-hmm. that... The eligible receiver series is a war game series that the joint staff runs. And it's about testing uh, some national level decision making mm-hmm. crisis. You know, I mean, how well do they, how well does the White House and the Defense Department, intelligence community coordinate that sort of a thing? Uh, before I was ever there and really was not part at all of the planning, they, they designed this eligible receiver exercise that tested uh, cyber hacking penetration. Mm -hmm. And uh, so after I got in, uh, I learned about it. But what really gave urgency to it was this now comical episode. Uh, I think it was called uh, Solar Sunrise was Mm -hmm. the name of the kind of this operation. Two kids in Cloverdale, California, that hacked into Air Force email systems, basically. You know, very, we knew so little back then. The Air Force was the only service at the time that had any intrusion detection software. <laughs> so they, was the only one, they, they were the only ones that knew mm-hmm. they had a problem. The Navy, the Air Force, n- neither of them had a clue uh, if they had a problem or not. The Air Force was an early, early on the Air Force thought about the larger structural problems about mm-hmm. about the IT world that was emerging. The Army and the Navy both viewed it as uh, uh, as uh, an extension of uh, base operations. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was like the telephone system, you know, or the electric system. It wasn't it wasn't viewed as a uh, as uh, integral to war fighting, and it wasn't viewed as being a particular 
challenge or a threat. It was viewed as just being a utility function mm. for the Army and the Navy. Why do you think Air Force uh, did that? I think there were a couple of a few visionary mm-hmm. people. Uh, John Campbell, Soup Campbell, was mm. an early leader uh, in in this. I think he was a, a visionary. Uh, I think Ken Minahan, mm. who became the head of NSA, mm-hmm. was an early visionary uh, on it. And so I think they had a larger consciousness about how uh, how the internet was going to transform operations. The other services were really kind. Con- we're not. I, mm-hmm. uh, just to give you an example, uh, Jim. Uh, um, we, you know, we had a series of these kind of attacks on on uh, Al Qaeda types in in Pakistan uh, or, or or Afghanistan, I should say, uh, or Pakistan. It was, and we were we were trying to we were trying to punish them for things they were doing. One after we had launched a strike, one one a guy, another Air Force general officer, who was on the joint staff, conducted a little exercise. He said, "How long would it take us to find out where the spouses of the commanding officers of the ships that launched the cruise missiles? Mm-hmm. How long would it take us to find out where the spouses worked?" And it was about two hours doing internet searches. But that was because at the time, you know, every ship had a website, and it was viewed as a public affairs function. And so they, today the ship is steaming X, you know, and so that's how they kept in touch with the families. Back then, all of the, uh, you know, we would post the the names of the family members on the resumes of of officers. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was very easy because it, we viewed everything as a public affairs function. Hmm. Um, I remember going to see Hugh Shelton. He was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and brought him. I said, Hugh, let's take a look at the website of your house uh, on Fort Myer. Your house has a website. Did you know that? Well, no. Okay, here's what it is. It pictures of it. It showed a floor plan. It showed from all four angles. I said, now what would a terrorist think when you hand them this kind of preparation, you know, for you? He, you know, he was shocked. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the naivete hmm. that existed 20 years ago, 25 years ago. We just had, we just were not at all reflective about what was happening. So uh, it was that incident, Solar Sunrise, that we didn't really know what it was. Um, it had ominous dimensions to it. We were looking at the time when the attack, the attacks were taking place. It turned out it was after school break in California, but it could have been, you know, early morning in Moscow, you know, type thing. So um, I was invited to have breakfast with a small group of, of journalists that got together once a month, and it was kind of a breakfast thing, supposedly off the record, mm-hmm. you know, conversation with senior people in government. And I decided to tell them that we were under a cyber attack at that breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, Secretary Cohen was furious. With you? Yeah, he was, just, he was furious because he said, you shouldn't be revealing this. Mm-hmm. But I knew there was no way to get 
a focus in the department unless it became a big public deal. You know, I knew we were going to get hearings that would come from it. We were going to, mm-hmm. there was going to be congressional inquiry, all that. I, it, I knew it, but I said it was what we were going to have to do. Because how are you going to get a department that is just so um, cavalier about an issue to start thinking seriously about it? And so, so you were you were kind of a visionary then, and you were looking ahead. I think it was an accident, honestly, but uh, but it did make a difference mm-hmm. uh, because it was uh, you know there were it was a way in which we could finally mm-hmm. get everybody in the department to start thinking about it. You know, every, every every all the service chiefs started asking, "Well, what's going on with us? Mm-hmm. Well, how do we do it?" It takes a, I hate to say it, it takes a, pu- a big public deal like that mm-hmm. to mo- mobilize it. So, uh, I, I'd like to tell you, I thought it was a grand strategy. It wasn't, but it was just saying we we know so little and we are so ill prepared mm-hmm. at that time that we have to do something. And um, and then it was years of arm wrestling, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah. the you know, the, the factions anchor themselves on solving problems. I mean, they, everybody goes to work every day in the Pentagon to solve a problem. And uh, so they didn't want to give it up. They didn't want to lose control. Uh, and so it was a lot of arm wrestling to say, well, what does it take to, you know, push people, confront them, badger them? Okay, what's your investment strategy and all this sort of thing? And it was coming at a time when we were shrinking. The budgets were shrinking. So mm-hmm. it wasn't. But I think it did get things started. Did you think about moving this from being a CIO-led function to a more military function? You know, for me, the most informative experience I had in that regard was Y2K. And, uh, you know, most of your readers will now, or listeners here, will have no consciousness of this. But this was this big flap. The the assumption was that all the computer systems had internal clocks that had been set to you know to expire on midnight of 1999. Mm-hmm. I don't think the, that was true, but there was a wide held view that this was going to be you know an electronic catastrophe. We couldn't ignore it, and we knew that if we had a problem at DoD, we'd be the poster child of ridicule. So we said we have to do something about it, and for the first year, um, you know, I would meet with the uh, with the senior IT people in the services. Nothing got done. Absolutely nothing got done. So uh, I, I talked to the secretary, and we I met with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs with Hugh, and and I said, Hugh, this is if 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 you can't go to war on the 1st of January, you, you know, that's, uh, this is a war fighting issue. Mm-hmm. He said, okay. So he put a guy in charge of it named Bob Willard, Admiral Bob Willard, who was a, at the time a two-star. And, and the joint staff was given the assignment to get it going. From that day on, it moved. And I learned a lesson that what the pulse of the department doesn't come on the support side, it comes on the war fighting side. Mm-hmm. And when the operators feel that they have the problem, then it moves because it's, it's a, it is a, it's a command-oriented, action-oriented department, but it, it revolves around war fighting. How, how much did you 
get DOD involved with the civilian side of the Y2K process with John Well, Koskinen we had and, John yeah. Koskinen ran yeah. this, and we, we met, I think it was every month, as I recall. They, uh, I think we simply reported what we were doing. Mm-hmm. I don't believe, we did, I don't think we really did anything to help them on their side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had such a big problem on our own mm-hmm. side, just trying to get our arms around it. Um, spent a fortune probably modifying things that didn't matter. But again, it was the public affairs problem. We did have one serious Y2K hiccup, which one of the spy satellites went, turned itself off uh, at midnight. And um, it took, it took five, six hours to get that fixed, you know, now, so I, it, it was a real issue. We, we, we probably overdid it, but it was a real issue, and we really did have a real-world episode that proved it was worth the effort. So one of the lessons you learned from Y2K was uh, get the warfighters involved. Yes. Were there others? Um, well, I think that uh, – there was another – it was parallel, not related exactly, but it's also something you and I worked on together, Jim, and that was the battle over – is there going to be a government-controlled encryption regime? You'll remember the whole <laughs> How can I forget? Fortessa, yeah. all that Clipper stuff. Clipper chip, yeah. Clipper chip. PKI. And uh, I, again, this had predated my time being the, the mm-hmm. deputy, so I really was walking into it. You were working it, uh, had been working it longer than I had, and that's where we first met. And what I, it, it, what I was learning was we could tactically – defeat the IT industry on the Hill. Mm -hmm. We could intimidate members of Congress into backing down. But the process, we were going to lose control of the issue because Mm -hmm. they they saw a global market and they were going to move their encryption stuff overseas. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, we were going to lose them as a partner in our capacity to defeat them tactically. And I think that became, that was also an extremely important lesson for me, which was you're not going to solve this problem if, uh, if you alienate the industry that is the creative force behind it. And, of course, that's a lot of where we are right now, I think. You had pretty close ties with some of the big companies back then. I had, um, I would say close ties, but when when I finally said, okay, we're not, mm-hmm. this isn't working. We have to change. I did. I did call Craig Mundy, who sure. at Microsoft at the time, and because he had come in to talk about something, and, and so I called him. I said, Craig, we need to talk. Uh, when are you coming? And he says, Well, how serious is this? I said, Pretty serious. I want to talk to you about whether we want to change our approach here. And so he came fairly quickly, and we we struck a deal. And I said, I'm going to need your help. I'm not asking you to do anything other than, you know, let us work with you in the same way anybody would work with you. But, but, uh, but in, this, in exchange for that, we're going to back off on this encryption thing because it isn't going we, – we, I, I can tactically mm-hmm. prevail, but I'll strategically lose. And he – so it was a deal. And then he opened the door. He started talking to John Chambers, and he started with other people. And we had at that stage uh, there were a couple of big guys in the telco world. Uh, um, AT&T was the was, – I can't remember his name right now. Mm-hmm. But it um, – 
and has started a partnership, you know, mm-hmm. and ultimately it has to be that. You know, they never, they never opened, gave us secrets or anything like that. It wasn't, but, but it, it allowed us to have a dialogue with them to understand where things were going and we could do our work as a government. This might be a tricky one, but it was um, at the time you kind of oversaw the intelligence side of uh, DOD activities. And when you thought about what DIA was doing and more importantly, what NSA is doing, how did you think about moving them to the cyber environment? You know, that was, uh, that's really an interesting question um, because at the time, uh, you know, NSA was was confronting two problems. Mm-hmm. One was they had they had overwhelmingly invested themselves in the the big giant monolithic supercomputers, you know, the big craze, at a time when the world was moving to distributed processing. And so they had a they had a massive investment that was becoming obsolete. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second problem that they had was the uh, it was the whole shift of uh, away from data in motion to data at rest. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it it's no longer positioning yourself with a sensor that can grab electrons or microwaves that are zipping past you and then you put it together, it is how do you get inside networks and read things? Mm -hmm. You know, so it was data at rest became the target rather than data at motion and a need to dramatically reconfigure the computing infrastructure for NSA. So actually what the leverage was their need for money, mm-hmm. you know, to shift this computing infrastructure. But, but, but I would say I, it, was not f- it was not fighting them. It was rationalizing it mm-hmm. along the way and making sure that we had a uh, cooperative relationship. You know, NSA at the time, like all of the intelligence agencies, had the, you know, they, 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 they ran rather freely between two control environments. If they didn't like what DOD told them to do, they'd go over to the, the Intel oversight Intel over, well, yeah. and the Director oh. of Central Intelligence, you okay. know. Uh, and because back then, before we had right. a, a DNI, you know, they, they played in that game. And so I, we had some kind of hard conversations about, you know, uh, about things. So on behalf of the Secretary, I mean, I was never, but, mm-hmm. um, but NSA, to its credit, really took the lead. You know, I mean, they they were pretty bitter about mm-hmm. walking away from Clipper Chip mm-hmm. and Fortessa. They were they were unhappy about that. And uh, the the deputy director, she's a uh, Barbara became, McNamara. Barbara, she became yeah. a friend, but uh, she was pretty unhappy. And and but we went through all of it together. And uh, and then I I became a champion for them because mm-hmm. they I needed to help them do their job. So how how useful was NSA on the defensive side for both the country and the department? They'd originally thought if we get this encryption solution, it will protect people's data. It will protect their communications. They didn't get it. No, uh, and to be honest, you know, the, in a in a DoD environment, uh, offense is a hundred times more mm-hmm. interesting and sexy than defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're we're pretty poor at mine warfare. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we don't countermine warfare. We, 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 it's not manly. We love bombers. You know, we don't like minesweepers, you know, in, in, in our world. That's the same way with cyber. We, we so much creative energy in the offense. And when you'd say, okay, now how are we doing protecting our own stuff? And it was always a very fuzzy. And mm-hmm. So I, I think, again, it's uh, a lot of mistakes if I look back. I mean, I think one of the, one of the big mistakes, Jim, was to, for us to call this uh, cyber war. Mm-hmm. Because it caused an awful lot of people on the civilian side to say, we don't do war. That's DOD. Mm-hmm. You know? And if we had talked about it as being criminality, yeah. we, could have, we could have changed the, the narrative and probably moved it faster, especially the private sector. But even then, they were, they were, when it was clear that people like China and Russia were stealing intellectual property left and right, mm-hmm. they still didn't do that much you know, until it hit them personally. It really is amazing how, how the private sector has lagged what you would think would be natural, but it's the, it's the, it's the pressure of, of profit margins. You know. How about your interagency colleagues? Did you find them particularly? I know Justice had a concern, but the rest of them. You know, we didn't have a Department of Homeland Security then. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, back then the center of gravity was justice and the intelligence community mm-hmm. and us. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we, I would say that the intelligence community. First of all, there was a profound difference between us and the intelligence community, which is when it came to offensive cyber, mm-hmm. the the intel world was pretty open about the tools. They were just ultra-secret about the targets. Mm-hmm. You know? Whereas DOD treated the tools ultra-secret. You know? And so we there was a real mismatch in how we thought about things, and it showed up. You know, in those very, very crude, limited uh, early exercises when we went to war in Kosovo. You know, we, we I remember a, a battle between DOD and the intel community over launching a cyber attack on, some, uh, on a, a target. Uh, actually, it was a phone system. And uh, it was amateurish what we were pro- thinking to do. Uh, uh, and it, many meetings back and forth between us and the Intel world. And finally, the Intel world said, okay, you can go ahead and do it because nobody uses that, that particular network. We're not interested if you disrupt that one because nobody uses it. <laughs> you know, it was, that, it, was that, mm-hmm. it was that limited. Now, I think, I think they're much, much better now. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that the legal environment and the policy environment is clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you're you're closer to this than I am now. I mean, I was asked this the other day, uh, you know, about cyber war, and I said I think we've got a lot of the tools, but I don't think we have any idea about how we would fight a war. What what would be our objective? How would we how would we operationalize a campaign? How would we establish both objectives as well as make it clear to opponents? when we've won, when they've lost, 
what it means to go on, what it means to stop. I mean, the sort of things you do mm-hmm. kinetically, I don't think we know how to do any of that. Did you think about that in the Serbia? It was I, it, we, because our uh, what we had such limited capacity mm-hmm. back then. I mean, we had we had a few traditional, uh, but they were more like electronic warfare tools than IT mm-hmm. cyber tools. We the, the only cyber tools that we had at the time were really quite limited, quite crude. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some fairly sophisticated EW things, and they were bottled up in classic. The politics of war. You know, how does how mm. does it match your diplomacy? How do you does it, how do you work with allies? How do you communicate to an opponent what you've done to them? You know, I mean, all those sorts of things which we know about in the kinetic world, we didn't really know how to do any of that. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Moonlight Maze? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah, to uh, within the constraints, yeah, of what's within possible. the constraints. I yeah. mean, this was this was kind of the first one was really serious. I mean, I think with Solar Sunrise, it because it was two high school kids. It, it mm-hmm. well, that was uh, that kind of put everybody into a, into a lackadaisical mm. attitude for a while. You know, this okay, this isn't that serious. It was Moonlight Maze that really transformed the department to think about this. I mean, all of a sudden they realized, you know, we're now up against a very capable, you know, hostile intelligence service. Um, We, I think, did the, at the time, I mean, by comparison to today, it would be pretty limited. But back then it was fairly sophisticated forensics. Mm You know, I think we were pretty confident we knew where things were. Uh, you know, and but you're, then you're but you're dealing with a classic. You know, when two intelligence services go to war with each other, mm-hmm. you know, how do you how do you fight that war? Um, and uh, and then I must confess, I've I've it it dissolved into uh, a series of engagements and confrontations with uh, with. Uh, Russia uh, that uh, I, that just were never resolved, and then I, I I don't have clear recollections after that. To the extent you can, what did a confrontation look like back then? We're still doing it today. Yeah, it was a little uh, different. You know, the the this was at a time when there was the so-called Gore Chernomirdin process. This was where. You know, we were trying to help the Russians, you know, get through the trauma. You remember all of that. And so there, there was every, t- every six months, you know, the, the government would come together at fairly senior levels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we had that going on, although it was getting uh, scratchier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Moonlight Maze. And so it, the, the harder dilemma was what do we do inside our own government about confronting Russia because we didn't want to lose mm. this channel of collaboration, even though that channel was breaking down fairly rapidly. Mm. Um, and so it was an awful lot of internal, you know, kind of what can we do? Kind what of like 2016. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's not. It was just an it was just an older version of mm-hmm. kind of what we're living with now. Um, you don't have un- unless you're prepared to you know d- do something for sharp demonstration purposes. Uh, 
you know, meeting with somebody and confronting them is, you know, it's, sure. it's just, it doesn't produce much. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like telling Lavrov, you guys interfered in our election. Uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that kind of a thing. So uh, it was really th- that. It did, I think, Jim, the highlight uh, the the need for as much forensics capacity as possible to eliminate uncertainties. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, did they really do it? Who really did it? What uh, what can we say authoritatively about what happened? I think it. I think what Moonlight Maze did was it kind of set in motion that more than anything, creating the imperative for for stronger forensics, mm-hmm. at least in the department. What um, were the Chinese up to then? They weren't at the time. They were not particularly uh, uh, skilled. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, it, they have become very skilled. Uh, at the time, they were not very skilled, and um, because uh, because so so much of the Chinese IT ecosystem was pirated, mm-hmm. you know, they also had a lot of vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, so we knew a lot. Yeah, still and, true. Uh, yeah. And I think it's probably still true. The um, uh, but they were not back then particularly skillful or really I mean they, I remember kind of people saying you know the real the really skilled you know uh, people are the Russians the Ukrainians the Israelis the French mm-hmm. you know those were the really s- right. skillful uh, operators at that time China wasn't considered at that time to be a skillful operator they've certainly closed the the gap. Uh, they've thrown a lot of resources at it. They've nurtured a uh, rising generation. You know, so they've got a lot of talent now. You know, and it's a mm-hmm. big challenge. You know, one thing that you learn in the government is that it's really hard to get the ship to change direction or to increase speed. What would you have done differently, looking back? Uh, well, I I think th- I think it was right to let the world know we were under cyber attack. I think mm-hmm. that because it, it got the, the department moving. I think I would have asked the secretary to be more directive mm-hmm. on imposing things on the department. I mean, I we, we tried to basically nurture people to bring them along mm-hmm. rather than say, well, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and, and I guess if I think I probably failed that way. Um, I think that Congress was a was a complication then. Mm-hmm. They were both an an asset in highlighting a problem, but then they but there was a lot of as you recall a lot of scratchiness between the, the Clinton administration, especially after Monica Lewinsky stuff. So there was always an, a desire to score coup, you know, to mm-hmm. draw blood, you know, when there was a problem. And uh, we got we got through it as, as, uh, acceptably, but I think it 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 I, I really wish we'd had a, I'd had a, another shot at how to deal mm-hmm. with that. Um, you know, we had uh, yeah, it got to the point where I didn't tell some members of Congress important things because 
they were going to use it politi- mm, politically sure. just to embarrass the administration, and yeah. that was not going yeah. to help. That was the first time I testified. It was a <laughs> remarkably painful experience. I'm still yeah. in the government then. It's yeah. a lot more fun yeah. now. What did you learn from it that would be useful? And particularly, one of the things I want to ask you about is DHS, because some people say it's on the same path. It's where DOD was in, say, 1948. Um what did you learn useful out of your experience in pulling the department together? Well, it's it was a mistake to have called it cyber war, mm-hmm. but it was a vocabulary that DOD understood. I think that the, the the question about DHS is what what is it that would make them mobilize themselves effectively on cyber? I'm not sure it's possible. Mm-hmm. And in any event, it took NSA 50 years to develop its capacities, mm-hmm. you know, and it still may have, you know, it would be a mistake to try to create another NSA-like entity. So it, it's more about, I think, establishing stronger uh, command relationships, you know, with DHS. Back, we didn't have a DHS when I was there, we, mm-hmm. but, but, the, but the, the real challenge was, was the Attorney General. Mm. Because the attorney general has disproportionate authorities when it comes to domestic incidences, mm-hmm. you know. This was Janet Reno. It was Janet Reno. And so, so I worked very hard to have a relationship with her mm-hmm. uh, on, on a series of things. And, uh, and she was very constructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, uh, we actually had a series of kind of seminar-based – they weren't war games, but they were – they were simulation-based mm-hmm. seminars that would on issues where we knew we had to work through some things together, you know, dirty bombs, that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I really wish we had done more of that on cyber back then. Mm. Uh, we we just we just were so poorly organized ourselves um, that it was it was hard to find a, a way to to connect. I did have a modest. I still feel very positive about it, but a very modest relationship with the FBI mm-hmm. uh, uh, on, but that was more on counterintelligence. Uh, how uh, the, we, because what we came to realize was that the, the, the counterintel world was very unprepared mm-hmm. for the way that hostile intelligence services were using IT. The Clinton administration did start. Uh, process under General Marsh that ultimately led to, um, what was it, PDD-63? Yeah, that was the Marsh Commission. And, yeah. yeah. What did you have to do with that? Well, you know, Tom, uh, I didn't know Tom before mm. I, I met him uh, on, on the hearing circuit, basically. You know, the, there were a series of hearings where he would be the witness and I would be the punching bag. You know, I mean, he would be talking about all the things that we did that we were not getting right, and I was there to take the blows type thing. <clears throat> but we became friends, and, and uh, Tom just died about a half a year ago. But um, it, uh, it, it was kind of late in the administration mm-hmm. when, when that turned into a PDD, and by then we had— Produced enough momentum that it wasn't. Uh, it, it it wasn't. Uh, it didn't. I don't have dramatic recollections that have changed things. Where do you think we are now? What would you do now? Putting aside the current dilemmas with the National Command Authority. Yeah, you know. I, I, again, I was asked this the other day at a, at something, and people said, "What's how mm-hmm. serious is cyber warfare?" And I said, "I think it's exceptionally serious." 
I think it's by far the more likely thing we'll experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to have warfare that's threatening to America, it's going to be that way. I do think we've got a lot of tools uh, in place. I think the, you know our capacity to fight mm-hmm. um, and damage is, I think, pretty good. Do we have any idea how we would fight that war? I don't think so. I don't think there's, you know, I think DOD has thought about some elements of it, how, what they would do. But, you know, in the, you know, in the, you know, the, as, you know, the, you know where are the Herman Kahn types that mm-hmm. thought about nuclear war, you know, in 19... 19- 52, 54, 56, when we were thinking all that sort of deterrence strategy and uh, uh, thinking through how we were going to use uh, something radically new and uh, know how to control it uh, politically, I don't know that we've done that. Now, maybe we have. I just don't think we have. I mean, I, but I'd still challenge him whether... He he thought about it, but did the government have a clear idea about so, it? So I don't let's, know. let's use a case study. Um, the last administration uh, was unable to come to terms with how to respond to Russian interference, yeah. and the current administration is moving very slowly in the direction of doing something. But there is no. There, you're right. There is no doctrine or operational thinking below that sort of decision. We need to impose consequences. Okay, now what? What would you do? What would you do back to Russia, given our hang-up with proportionality? What would you do to create that operational doctrine? Um, Well, I think I'm entirely in the world of speculation. I've I've not had any classified briefings. I've not been had any conversations with anybody. So this is entirely good. Then you can talk freely. I can talk freely because I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think the first the first thing would be to have a pretty good idea of what we could do to them. So because ultimately we're going to have to have a conversation Mm -hmm. with the Russians, with the Russians and Mm -hmm. the Chinese. I think you know sanctioning seven generals. For cyber hacking was just a joke. Mm-hmm. Was it feel good? Yeah, it made you feel good. It, that was a joke. I think it's harder for this administration because it really, you know, it does depend on a coherent White House that right. thinks rationally. And and uh, when you get a president that is so voluble and spontaneous, you know, it's pretty hard to put a strategy together because it ultimately is a political commitment by the nation. To do something mm-hmm. uh, totally apart from where he is personally on Russia, which I can't figure out. Uh, you know, you've, it's going to be a conversation, uh, you know, at a, at a fairly high level that says, "Here's what'll happen to you mm-hmm. if you do anything." You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not going to get into the specifics, but you can count on, uh, you know, a 40% decline in your GDP in the first year. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. I mean, something like this, yeah. and more in terms of the outcomes rather than how you would do it. Um, and to say it is, it we're, we're, it will go, it will go answered. If you do anything to us, it will go answered. And here's what we will see if you do. For example, if you have if, if the slightest interference with our command and control system that controls nuclear weapons, that's that will trigger 
response. You know, I mean, it, whatever the thing is. But I think we have to think through pretty clearly about what do we say is existential. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, uh, damaging electric power grids, that would be existential. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, Americans couldn't tolerate being without electricity for a sure. year. So, um, uh, you know, I think we just have to and say, here's what, here's what we will do, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I personally am very reticent to, to do these cross-domain deterrent mm-hmm. strategies because mm-hmm. I, I, I just – it always leads to the question, are you willing to use nuclear weapons? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I just – I don't it, – It turns out to be – I, difficult to calculate. It's difficult to calculate, and and are you, if if if, two hundred people in an intelligence organization attack you, are you prepared to incinerate ten million innocent people? Mm-hmm. I don't think Americans would ever do that. I don't think a, a, a rational American president would ever do that. Do you think we're structured right for this? This is a new kind of warfare, a new kind of conflict, and we're still. When I look at how we're structured, it still I, the first thing that comes to mind is fold a gap. Yeah. Do you think we're structured no. right? Yeah. Because this is a war that will where the target is the private sector, and you know I, I don't think that you know we've made a massive mistake by doing away with the NSTAC. You know this was they they created these ISACs, but these ISACs are you know pretty uneven. The NSTAC worked. For one primary reason, they they actually gave it to DHS. They gave it to DHS, but DHS the the, the, <laughs> the that that killed it. Mm-hmm. The 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 reason it worked was mm-hmm. DoD had no regulatory authority over mm-hmm. over the communicate the telcos, so we could create a safe environment for them to meet with us, and it was not threatening for them to be in that environment. It is threatening for them to be in an environment with DHS. So their willingness to share is limited. I mean, I, we, we need to create a whole different way. And this is what I think DOD should do. I mean, they tried to get at it with the... With the uh, Enduring security the, framework. Yeah. The NSA group. That, and then there's this thing that Bill Lynn... You should talk to Bill because Bill was instrumental. You know, what was it, the DIB, I think he called it? Yeah. Uh, I think that that was his effort to try to get uh, a uh, a supple, viable, ongoing relationship with the private sector. I don't think it worked. But it did legitimize them to communicate with each other. So I think the DIB was effective in letting letting industry talk to each other without being afraid of, you know, of regulatory interference. But I don't think that it, that they got it was a really a, 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 a dialogue with the government because the you know, the problem was taking place within minutes and the government was taking days mm. to figure out what to say. Building on that, um, even before this administration and despite Secretary Carter's efforts, relations between Washington and Silicon Valley are worse than they've ever been. Yeah. What would you do? Well, <laughs> it's they are bad. Um, I think that... Again, they've been humiliated by the Snowden mm. revelations. 
But the Snowden revelations were really just kind of braggadocio by NSA about how all their great capabilities. But you know, they, they it, it it was it was really more embarrassment and and market vulnerability that I think that caused it. And so now it is pretty bad. Uh, I I I think it's it takes it'll take a new kind of a you know quieter narrative back and forth. I think it's starting again. I think that. General Nakasone is trying mm. to make headlines about wanting to talk to him. Just talk to them, you know, kind yeah. of a thing. And and uh, and I also would say, you know, Silicon Valley needs the government too. You know, it's the question is how do you have that conversation where that doesn't sound like we're here to intimidate you if you don't work with us. You know, but they do need they do mm-hmm. need the government. They they, they need. The government to be on their side when they're when they're battling a, a, an intellectual property issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole question about where we're going with Europe right now. Europe is really calling the shots on how the yeah. environment, uh, the government regulated regulated environment, is going to unfold. We're not. You know, I would think that our industry would want us to be working with them, and so it it they they it needs to be a conversation. But I don't, uh, I don't know how we get there with, you know, with the kind of we're, we're, how we're starting. I mean, it's, you know, the you know the John Boltons of the world just have a, a very statist view about security, and you know, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley will say we're not going to work with you. It just takes a very different, I think, attitude. Last question: Where would we go? Uh, Congress, in its uh, wisdom, recently established a. A cyber solarium. It's um, so is it like the solarium? It's it's to the extent they can remember it. Yeah, Yeah. it's pulled together a group of. It's largely members, I think, but um, group of people to come up with a cyber strategy. There's a general discontent with how things are going, and that is more true than it was even under Obama. Um, so people are saying we need we need a path to move forward. What would you say for the path? And you can make fun of Solarium if you want. No, no, I don't. I would, no, I, I, I would make fun of it. I think it was such a unique mm-hmm. historical. Uh, people want to keep reproducing it. I don't think it's possible. But mm-hmm. uh, that was because you had a very unique time and a fairly unique president. You know, uh, Eisenhower was. Uh, you know, had just fought a, a war. He spent more time with his J-5, you know, his plans guy, than he did with his J-3, his operations guy. Mm-hmm. And so he was used to thinking strategically, as I think he's one of the reasons why historically there were such important things that came out of that presidency. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, it, 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 it seems to me pretty hard to get to anything sensible on a government-initiated effort right now. So uh, the, the question is, is, is are, there, are there previous government uh, officials that could become the channel of, uh, of a new kind of a narrative of conversation with the industry? Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I'm naive to say I think I think there might be, but I don't know exactly how I would do it. I know that uh, you know there have been a couple of previous DARPA directors that have wanted to try to do something, but I haven't seen anything really happen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, 
you, you and I have spoken about, I think, a, a Jason-like process, you know, where the government simply helps facilitate the private sector getting together to work through big issues, but we mm-hmm. don't try to tell them what to do, you know, yeah. would be helpful. I think, <clears throat> I, I think taking the kind of the regulatory thing out of it would be Mm-hmm. Good. I mean, again, I would I'd re- recreate the old NSTAC, mm-hmm. but I would, you know, but for this world, and but make sure that it's because DOD's doing it, but we're we've got no regulatory authority, and we're we're providing a space, and we just want to talk with you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's going to be something very light touch like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a long time, I thought that could never happen, and uh, it'd have to go out of commerce. But I don't think that's possible now. You know, I think commerce doesn't have the, you know, kind of the organizational capacity for it. So, uh, I tr- I would go back. I try to revert back to, uh, to uh, to an end stack like model, mm-hmm. Jim. I mean, uh, the other there's another regulatory organization that I find very intriguing, which is the National Safety Trans- National Transportation Safety Board, mm-hmm. you know, the NTSB. Yeah. <clears throat> They're very effective. They're effective for one primary reason. They have they have subpoena authority, but they have no regulatory authority. Hmm. Mm-hmm. They they cannot they can compel you to talk to them and give you give them information, mm-hmm. but they they cannot do anything in terms of punishing you or, or anything of the sort. Uh, so it is so the, and they so they become a safe way to take the negative public relations energy out of a crisis. So an NTSB-like organization probably run by DOD, I think, would uh, would would probably be where I would try to see if I could get people interested in it, you know. <clears throat> but, you know, that's it's a, it's a different day now. Yeah. I just don't know if we can get there. I still remember you saying that the Washington was the only place where the hockey team had 11 goalies. 11 goalies and no puck. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and that's uh, it, unfortunately that has really kept us from developing a coherent response. Mm-hmm. But it's it it's going to have to be to change the way the private sector thinks about this as a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, they 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 really are aching now. I mean, yeah. and uh, so, but I but I think that this is you know, how would you where would you do it? Would you do it around justice? I mean, when you get the president demeaning the attorney general every day mm-hmm. you know who, who's going to go want to work with justice on this issue you get uh, when when the department of homeland security is just about you know borders and about you know arresting people trying to cross the border and separating kids and I, you know, people say i don't want to do that you know so we just don't have the right place i think again i think it's probably just dod mm-hmm. dod is the only place it's has both the competence, the scale, and they and can be can handle things in a dispassionate way. Mm-hmm. I, I I would I'd build it around there if I could, but then I, I'm kind of a partisan for them. Okay, great. Thanks for listening to Cyber from the Start. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. See you on the next episode of Cyber from the Start. <laughs>